The Bible says, be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. All right, it's 4 p.m. on Wall Street. Do you know where your money is? Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Analyzing markets and financial news, this is Financial Issues Week in Review. Welcome to Financial Issues. I'm Shanna Burt, continuing on for our beloved founder, Dan Celia, who has gone into glory earlier this year. And man, has it been a lesson in depending on the Lord. But the Lord is always faithful, and uh, He keeps His promises. He will finish what He has started, and we believe that He started a really great thing here with Financial Issues uh, through the the submission of Dan's time and talent and his resources. So we want to we want to be good stewards and we want to continue on the ministry and we just thank all of the partners, all of the listeners, all of the monthly soldiers who so faithfully uh, not only monetarily support this ministry but pray for this ministry. We're so grateful for you guys. And we welcome all of you viewers that are watching us on YouTube now. We are live there. So that is one other outlet that you can catch us. We ask you to make sure that you like us and subscribe to us um, because that can potentially be another revenue stream for the ministry down the road if we get enough people watching and liking and subscribing on there and you can even get notified. So um also want to remind you about Amazon Smile, another alternative way that you can support the ministry. If you purchase goods through Amazon, you can purchase them through the Amazon Smile. It's really simple to do. You just go on and you select your ministry. And we hope that you pick financial issues because that is a way to force Amazon to support this ministry. So they support all kinds of other crazy things like abortion and the LGBTQ agenda why not uh, be fair and equitable and non-discriminating and support financial issues too? So um, we also are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts now. So there's so many great ways that you can find us. Now, our preferred way is that you get the phone app because that way you can make sure to never lose us. You can take us with you wherever you go. Uh, you can watch live, you can watch on demand later, or you can listen. So if you're out for a walk or running the kids around in the in the afternoon or going on a long commute, then uh, you have some spare time and you can catch up on what's happening. Well, let's take a look at some economic news. We had retail sales came out and they unexpectedly, I don't know how that's unexpected, but stalled in July uh, disappointing markets that expected a 0.1% increase as inflation eased slightly but remained high in July. Yes, inflation is still high at 8.5%. We now have this Inflation Perpetuation Act uh, signed into law, releasing another $1 trillion into the economy. So inflation, inflation, inflation has been the talk of the town for so long now, and it's a problem. We all know it. Uh, we feel the pain at the pump. We feel the pain at the grocery store. Uh, Joe Biden has said it is his top domestic priority, and now they have passed a law. They're now legislating inflation to go lower. <laughs> so as preposterous as that sounds, we'll talk more about that later in the show, so don't go anywhere. But let's get to these uh, jobless claims numbers. So we had a drop in initial jobless claims. The number of Americans filing for new claims of unemployment fell by 2,000 to 250,000 for the week of August the 13th. That was below what was expected at 265,000. But this number is up more than 50% since the April lows of 162,000. So this is a trend um, we're, we're seeing, we've been seeing, even though we saw a little bit of drop this time, we've been seeing uh, initial claims continue to go up as we're seeing some weakening in the job market, which needs to happen. You know, uh, wage growth 
is a double-edged sword. It needs to happen for the consumer to be able to keep up with the rising prices, but it also contributes to rising prices because companies have to pay their employees more money, which gets put into the cost of goods sold, which gets passed on to the consumer. So it can end up being a vicious cycle. Continuing claims were less than expected as well, but trending much higher. Continuing claims are up 40% from April, the April read of, uh, of where the close was at um, right at 180,000. Now it's right at 250,000. Uh, another number that we got out is the Philly Fed, the manufacturing index. And, and that is based on a survey that they do of manufacturers in the third Federal Reserve District. So they ask these manufacturers to report the direction in the change of overall business. This includes employment, how many hours are being worked, new orders, how many back orders they have, shipments, inventories, delivery times, prices paid, and prices received. So the way that you judge this is that an index above zero indicates factory sector growth and a number below zero indicates contraction. So the number reported this morning actually rose to 6.2 in August of for August of 2022 uh, from negative 12.3 in July. So quite a jump there. The expectations were for the number to still be a negative five, but it came in at 6.2. So although the general activity index turned positive, it is still low. Um, and indicating that we're bobbling back and forth between, you know, expansion and contraction. So earnings season is winding down. We had the retailers report some mixed results this week, confirming the trends of what we know is happening with the consumer, that consumer spending is shifting as people are spending more money on energy and food and housing And that means that they're having to take money out of their budgets for other discretionary things. I think it held up um, pretty good up to this point because people were had kind of um, sandbagged a bunch of that stimulus money in their savings account. And now they were, as the economy reopened, they were finally getting a chance to spend it on some things that they had wanted to do while they were locked down in their homes. The markets are... Um, indicating a positive open uh, on this employment news. <clears throat> but there's, there seems to be a dichotomy of what the market thinks is going to happen and what economists think is going to happen. So economists are looking at the real numbers. We're, we're seeing the weakening in the economy. We're, see, we're seeing the... Um, the cracks that are coming in employment, uh, eventually maybe in housing and with fuel prices. But the market is a little bit overly optimistic about this. So we've had a rebound from the lows in July. And, uh, you know, we've seen the market start to come back. So the market is thinking that things are going to be well. Economists are saying that they're not. If you want to hear more about my thoughts on this, Make sure you tune into the partner conference call. If you're not a partner yet, you can become one. It's only $85 a year for the basic partnership, $124 if you want to use the tracker and um, get into managing your portfolio on your own. So we're going to come back um, after this segment. We are going to have Craig Halgert with us at the beginning of the third segment. Looks like we're also getting some calls in the queue, so we'll get to those. We'll get to your questions. We want to be responsive. We want to talk about the things that are on your mind. We want to help you be a good steward of all of the things that the Lord has given you. And just to reiterate for those of you who may be listening for the first time or new to the ministry, our purpose here is all about stewardship. We want to defund the kingdom of darkness by teaching you how to invest in a biblically responsible way. And we want to fund the kingdom of light by teaching you about stewardship and giving you opportunities where your money will be used to further the kingdom. So I'm Shanna Burt with Financial Issues. Hang with us. We'll be right back.
Most of us want to be a part of something significant to make a positive difference. By partnering with Christian Community Credit Union, your money is helping to build God's kingdom. That means there is real intention behind our numbers. Let's start with 30,000. That's the number of members who trust Christian Community Credit Union as their financial partner. Okay, how about $4.5 million? That's the amount we've donated to ministry and missions projects in the U.S. and around the globe through the credit and debit cards that give to missions. Here's another number, 60. That's how many years ago that a handful of Baptist ministers joined together to form a credit union whose mission was to help its members grow their money and become better stewards. Let's take a bigger number, like $750 million. It's the amount of assets under management providing affordable savings, investments, and loans to churches, ministries, and their members. Whether it's constructing or remodeling a new church building or funding a home loan, your money is working in the Christian community. 5,400. It's the number of shared branches across the country giving you outstanding member service, plus an additional 30,000 surcharge-free ATMs. One. The one is you, because the money you deposit at Christian Community Credit Union helps build churches, expand ministry, and reach out to the lost. Christian Community Credit Union. Our focus is more than just the numbers. It's to fulfill our mission to help members and ministries become better stewards and achieve their financial goals. Enjoy the benefits of credit union membership, including great rates on savings, lower loan rates, and personal service from a financial institution who shares your values. Christian Community Credit Union, your money building God's kingdom. Visit myccu.com today to learn more or call 800-347-CCCU. People are talking a lot about healthcare these days. There are so many changes, so many questions. As Christians, where can we turn for answers? At Samaritan Ministries, we believe the answer is in Jesus Christ, working in the lives of His people, demonstrating Christian community by sharing each other's medical needs, scripturally, faithfully. Here's just part of Brett's story in his own words. When I reflect on Samaritan Ministries, the biggest thing that stands out to me is that we, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. It it, it has a profound impact on people like me and my wife. Brett is just one of more than 150,000 members who are sharing over $13 million in medical needs each month. If you'd like to experience what it's like to partner with other Christians for your health care needs and you'd like to see what other members are saying, visit MySamaritanStory.org. Securities offered through G.A. Reppel & Company, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC. Opinions expressed by Shanna are hers alone and are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily represent those of G.A. Reppel or the outlet on which you are listening. You should consider how the information applies to your situation prior to personally implementing it and consult any financial professional you work with to make sure it's applicable to your financial plan. Welcome back to Financial Issues. So grateful for that disclaimer now. Uh, Make sure that you listened up to that so that you can take the information that I'm giving you and uh, really know how to apply that to your situation. It is your responsibility to ultimately to know your situation. Of course, I don't know your full situation as we're talking about these things. So I'm just giving you some food for thought, some things to think about just to Remind you that our partner strategy is a do-it-yourself strategy. So we do offer a buy list on the website. We offer asset allocation models. Um, When you uh, become a partner, you do get access to that buy list. We send alerts out when things should be sold. We give you asset allocation models, and we give you a wealth of information, a lot of learning that you can do on the site. You can go in and watch so many videos. Even if you're maybe not confident enough to do it yourself or maybe you don't have the time to do it yourself, it's still a great resource for you because you can listen to these conference calls. You can get some insight at least into to what I'm thinking about where things are moving. Um, hopefully that can bring you some comfort. Hopefully you're following a strategy that's similar to what we're doing. If we do, then you can uh, apply that information to to your strategy and give you some uh, understanding of what's happening, how things are moving, 
and that will lend itself to giving you some wisdom as to what to do about it. Well, let's get to calls. We're getting some calls in. Let's go to Sherry. Sherry's calling us from, I think that's Nebraska. That's correct. Thank you. I've been a partner just for a little while, so I'm not very knowledgeable, but my, I lost my dad about a year ago, and so I'm helping my mom. She has like $50,000 in life insurance that's just sitting in a money market account because we weren't sure if she was going to move or what she was going to do, but she's decided to stay. So what do I do with this money? It's earning nothing, you know, but I can't risk it, and she could need it if she has a health problem suddenly. Yeah, so, I mean, the things that you said there is that she may need it. So based on her age, um, doesn't sound like she probably has a very high tolerance for risk. Sounds like her main goal is for preservation and not for growth. Um, So if you're a partner, you can look at some of the cash and cash equivalents. Now, anything that you think that she has a high probability of using in the next one to two years should not be invested in anything. Unfortunately, it's not going to earn very much, but the value is going to be there when she needs to go spend it. If there's, you know, some uncertainty, maybe there's a lower probability about, you know, and figure out what the amount is. If there's a low probability that she won't need to use, say, half of it, then you could look at some of the cash equivalent things that are on the buy list there, like some of the inflation-protected things or um, some of the defensive positions. But you have to know that that they can have some volatility there as well in the short term. Right. So the I-bonds, I've heard other callers talk about that earn so much, they're not something I should think for mom because we might need the money or they're too risky, which, is that right? or? If there's a part of the money that you know that she will not need to get for sure for at least one year, then you can look at that. So there there are some restrictions. The most you can put into the I-bond per person per year is $10,000. So, you know, if if that fits, you know, if you have $10,000 that it's not likely that she's going to need to spend in the next year, then that would be a good solution for part of that money. All right. Well, we thank you for calling, Sherry. We hope that that's helpful to you. Let's go to Gino calling from Arkansas. Hi, Gino. Jenna, I want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Uh, I've learned so much. You know, I've been with you now for about a year and a half, two years, and uh, it's been wonderful. Uh, My question has to do with Series 1 savings bonds. Uh, I've been online with Treasury Direct, and... uh, my my first question is, uh, we my wife and I have a trust, but the, with something like this, you have to go individual. Am I correct on that? Uh, that's my understanding. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of what I thought too. Uh, the, where, I, where I got to a st- kind of a stalemate was when they started asking a bunch of questions. Uh, one of them was, uh, well, like they want to know my driver's license, bank bank name, routing number, account number, and all that stuff. Uh, is that okay to give them all that information? Yeah, that's pretty standard in- information. Anytime you open any type of financial account, if you go down to a bank, credit union, brokerage, you're going to have to give that. Um, I think it all flows back to the Patriot Act. We have to be able to, financial in- institutions have to be able to properly identify who they're doing business with to make sure that it's not money that's being laundered or moving illegally. That's kind of what I thought. It just bothers me to have to give them all information. And <laughs> once once I give them the information and I tell them how much I want to invest, do they just automatically pull that out of my account or do I send them a check or how does that work? Uh, I think there's several different ways that you can do it. Um, personally, the way that I did it was just to have them drafted out of my account. Take it out of your account. Yeah, okay, okay. All right. Well, that's, I just... Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just nervous uh, with with this uh, IRS thing that's coming in. These eighty seven thousand new IRS people. I'm just worried that uh, the more information I give them, it's going to be easier for them to get into my account. Uh, so, yeah. anyhow, basically, you can, can you go through your bank also or through your broker to do that to, to get to set up an account or 
is that, or did you, when you did it, did you do it personally, did you? Yeah, that, that's the only way that I found to be able to do it. I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. <laughs> well, thank you, Shanna. You're I'm welcome. I, sh- I share your concern about all of that information and the new agents out there. But, you know, at this point, I think in the in the information age, I think they've got as much information as they need on us <laughs> already. They probably have. Okay. Well, thanks again, Shanna. Appreciate it so much. All right. Thanks for calling and thanks for your support. Let's go to Chris Collin from Ohio. Hi, Shanna. How are you? Better than I deserve. I'm with you there. So my youngest daughter will be starting college next fall, fall of 2023, and I have a 529 plan for her through BlackRock. And from listening to you guys, I understand BlackRock is, you know, absolutely horrible, but... So I was wondering what you would recommend. I am a partner. I'm a prime partner, and I only have been for a little less than a year. But um, I would just asking, I guess, what you would recommend that I could do with that 529 plan. Are you going to use it to pay for college? Yes. Okay. So since she's starting college and your time frame now for using that money is much shorter, the majority of it should be moved to some sort of uh, more stable investment, like if they have a very, very short-term bond fund. uh, And when I say short-term, I mean, you know, two-year duration or less, inflation-protected, stable value, whatever they have, I would say that the majority of the money should be moved to that as you're going to be using it. Um, moving it to cash, even though it's still held by BlackRock, will help you be more biblically responsible because it's it's not necessarily um, a matter of who manages the money, other than they get to decide where it goes. But if it's a every the way that mutual funds work is that every mutual fund has an objective, and the fund managers have to operate within that objective and those set of rules that are attached to that mutual fund. So if it's a mutual fund that only invests in government securities or inflation-protected securities, that's a way to be biblically responsible. Okay. Is there anything within financial issues in the, that you think I could do or no? Unfortunately, 529 plans have to be sponsored by a state. So... Um, the state then employs a mutual fund company to manage their 529 plan. So whatever state fund that you choose, you're kind of stuck with their menu of funds. And, you know, there's um, there are some self-directed 529 plans that I believe are coming out, but I don't think we have access to those yet. Okay, very good. I'll have to go back and re-listen to this and write down everything you said, so... <laughs> Sounds I great. You, I appreciate you for your time, Shannon. Thanks God for your support you. and your prayers as well. You. Uh huh. Bye bye. Right. Let's go to Kent calling from Vermont. Hi, Kent. Good morning, Santa. Thank you for carrying on for Dan. Um, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Uh, so I'm 66 and my wife is 62, and we. I recently retired. Um, we sold our farm, and we're living in our second home. And I, but I, we may buy another home, say in a couple of years. And I'm wondering if I should take that money and put it like in laddered CDs. Um, and if so, should I do it in my rollover IRA? Or should I do it in our non-qualified brokerage account? Well, if you're going to use the money for uh, purchasing a home, then you don't want to do anything that's too long-term. Laddering CDs, I think, is a fine idea um, with the final maturity coming in that that two-year time frame if that's when you you plan on doing it. Otherwise... um, you know, if you're if you're just going to use cash, you know you don't, you don't want to get it invested because there even with some of the cash equivalents, there can be some volatility in the short term. I'm a fan of holding. You know, if that weren't the case, I'm a fan of holding 
uh, income-producing assets in the IRA because what you have to remember is that with an IRA, you have tax deferral. I prefer to call that tax postponement because sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that we do still have to pay taxes at some point. I believe that taxes are going to be higher in the future than what they are today. So any growth that you get in your IRA is uh, more money that you're going to have to pay taxes on down the road. Now, I'm not suggesting that you sabotage yourself and don't get any growth there. But if you have a choice of where to hold your growth investments, my choice would be to do it in a non-qualified or a Roth account. Great. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks for your partnership and your encouragement. We appreciate it so much. I hope you get our newsletter. If you want to sign up for that, you can go to financialissues.org. We promise not to send you a bunch of of stuff. We will send you a newsletter once a week just to keep you updated on what's happening. And we won't share your information with anybody else. So I'm Shanna Burt, and we'll be back right after this. Here at the AFA Foundation, we help families just like yours shore up permanent income for their retirement years through our charitable gift annuities. AFA Foundation's Associate Director, Chelsea Wildman. We would love to work with you to see if a charitable gift annuity is right for your situation. With a charitable gift annuity, you'll be giving to the culture-transforming work of the American Family Association, and you'll be ensuring that you receive a lifetime income and excellent tax benefits. You can fund a CGA through cash, credit card, or stock. Why not reach out to the AFA Foundation team today? A charitable gift annuity benefits you and helps ensure the AFA will impact America for generations to come. Call 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. Give us a call and let's talk about a charitable gift annuity. Now, back to Financial Issues Week in Review. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm Shanna Burt. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, If you were worried that you missed the ag report in that last segment, the good news is that you didn't. We actually have Craig Halgert here to talk to us about what's happening in the the ag and the commodity markets and Russia and everything else. So welcome, Craig. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure, Shanna. Great to be on with you. And we know so many of the partners prayed for you and your wife as you went on your trip and you, you traveled and then you um, had a little bug to deal with when you got back. So um, everything everything going good? Everything's recovered? <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate the prayers. It was an uh, incredible trip. I, it was the first time we'd been to Africa. and It's, uh, it's eye-opening. You kind of realize how blessed we are in, in this nation. But yeah, we've... Uh, Recovered from the bug we picked up, and, and life is life is good. Good. So, you know, we hear this uh, food insecurity uh, statement happening more and more and more, and we hear it in light of what's going on with the Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict. Can you shed any light on that? What is the impact there for, for food security around the world? Yeah, I, I do believe that it's... Um, it's going to have some repercussions. I think it's going to be sub-Saharan Africa that's going to be initially impacted by it. Uh, but it, the longer this drags on, the worse it's going to get. Um, obviously, um, in recent days, uh, Russia and Ukraine have come to agreement that was kind of brokered by Turkey, I guess, to uh, to allow the Ukrainians to export some grain out of their facilities. So we have seen some ships of, of corn and wheat that that are moving out of Ukraine now, which is, is certainly going to be helpful in the, in the near term in terms of the, the food insecurity situation. Probably a bigger issue, though, is um, the reduction in, in, in production of grain in Ukraine this year, um, seeing that it could be down as, as, as much as 50%, kind of depending on, on who you listen to, and, and obviously that will have some repercussions. But longer term, too, I think we need to keep an eye on what's going on with, with Russia and the uh, natural gas movement. Uh, recently, we, we've seen them really slow down the, uh, the flow of natural gas into Europe uh, through that Nord Stream pipeline. And um, natural gas is, is a key component in a lot of fertilizers, especially uh, the ammonium-type uh, fertilizers. And so we see some uh, 
<clears throat> some high prices on on fertilizer, certainly compared to a year ago. <clears throat> and um, you know, with with that shortage, I, I think uh, or with the slowdown of of natural gas flowing into Europe, I think it'll probably lead to some shortages of fertilizer as well, which again is going to impact the size of the crop that's produced, and and um, again, kind of lead to more food insecurity. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that insight there. Um, and what about this drought in the Western Corn Belt? What is what are we? What kind of ramifications are we going to have from that? You know, I think the biggest ramification we're seeing right now is being reflected in the cotton market. Um, as you as you know, as a good Texas lady, there's a lot of corn grow, or excuse me, a lot of cotton growing in in Texas and Arizona and some of those areas that are are kind of just the the, the center of of the drought situation. So we've seen those prices absolutely explode here uh, recently. But when you look at uh, where corn is growing, it's, we've got four of the 18 largest uh, corn-producing states that are being uh, pretty severely impacted by by drought. If we look at the Western Corn Belt, the total number of acres that are being impacted by drought right now are about 234 million acres. And um, four of the top 18 corn-producing states be Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas and Texas are areas we're seeing the drought expand. So I do think that um, we're going to probably see a, a, a smaller corn yield than had been projected. We saw the USDA kind of allude to that in their re- report last week, where uh, I think in, in uh, the, the June issue, the July report, they projected they got a national average yield of 177 bushels per acre. Uh, and they backed that off by a couple of bushels per acre in, in last week's report. I think we'll probably continue to see the the national average yield decline uh, between now and, and when we actually get into harvest. Um, and, and at a time where the world really needs uh, strong food production. So definitely the uh, the drought is having an impact. And you know, if you look at cotton, I think it kind of indicates what could happen with, with some of the other grains as we see what's really out there, especially if it turns out that the yields are are even lower than what the USDA's revised yields are looking like. Yeah, so for someone that's not super well-versed in the the ag and the commodity markets like me, you know, when you stop and think about it, you have to think about how many things, how many food products actually have corn in them, you know, because it's not just, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're going to get some canned corn or some corn on the cob. I mean, it's corn is a key ingredient in a lot of things right right and, and if you enjoy eating meat at all um you know corn is is key for feeding cattle and mm-hmm. uh, swine uh, poultry it, it's kind of interesting as you look at the different areas that, that grow grains and how that grain flows for us um here in ohio the corn that we produce by and large flows into the southeast uh in the delmarva peninsula uh, to, to address to feed the uh, the large uh, uh, poultry operations out there as as well as the big hog operations that you have like in, in North Carolina for example uh, a lot of our corn ends up going into uh, poultry as well we we work real closely with Purdue Farms and so if you know if you like lady like eating chicken um, corn is is a key component of the cost of producing that bird. Yeah, and I, I know this. we weren't slated to talk about this, but uh, Seth and I were talking about yesterday on the show about the cost of mayonnaise and how much it's gone up. And, you know, I think that has a lot to do with eggs. So when you when you say, you right. know, poultry, you know, we did have a, a bird flu. How, how is that working out? How is that panning out? You know, that seems like it's worked through. We also had a, a, a fire in Minnesota that to destroyed a pretty critical a large uh, egg operation. Uh, I believe they had four million birds that they lost in that. And so, um, as, as you're undoubtedly aware, um, egg prices have, have risen fairly sharply here. Uh, I think they're going to kind of stabilize right now, but certainly uh, the bird flu and, and the fires have, have had an impact there, um, and, and, and really pushed prices up and, and made eggs a lot a lot tighter in the near term. Mm. So I guess bad news for our mayonnaise for a little bit, Seth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, one last thing before we uh, before you have to go here. Talk to us about renewable diesel. Well, renewable diesel has has become uh, kind of a buzzword here in probably the last year and a half. I guess it 
it came on my radar screen as I was getting ready for a long range planning meeting about about a year and a half ago, and, and since then it's it's absolutely exploded. It, it's made from um, from vegetable oil. In our case, it would be predominantly soybeans that that would produce that. Um, the uh, bill that was just uh, passed, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, that will undoubtedly fuel inflation even more, but that's <laughs> another story, I guess, uh, really rewards uh, rewards uh, companies uh, to use renewable diesel. Um, ahead of that, because there had been some moves politically in, in states like California that were really pushing for this as well. Uh, and uh, so in anticipation of that, we've had a lot of plants, announcements of, of plants that are going to be built and come online, a lot of them in, in 2023, that, that for the express purpose of of crushing beans and, and producing renewable diesel. If you look at the number of plants that have been announced that they're going to build, uh, if those all get built, right now it requires us to, they have about an extra 600 million bushels of soybeans per year of of demand to, to produce renewable diesel. And if you look at what our, our carryout right now is, or the, the excess number of beans we have, I think it's 245 million bushels. So literally it would use up all of the beans in the United States right now, and we'd need another 355 million uh, just to meet the demand each year from these plants if they're purchased, if they're built. Even if only half of them are built, uh, it's it's uh, would wipe out the total supply of beans in the United States. So I think long term, what what's going to happen with that is that uh, we're going to become a lot less competitive in the world export market, and then we're going to really have to utilize uh, all the beans that we grow here domestically to produce renewable diesel. It's also going to cause a competition for acres, and and most farmers have a, a rotation between. Uh, a lot in the corn belt between corn and soybeans. Um, and you, you may start to see people trying to more double crop beans if, uh, if that, uh, the price stays strong. But the, the point is that it's a, um, um, not market driven. It's, it's, it's a government driven program. And it, I think it's going to have some, some big repercussions. I think it's going to put us into a, a multi-year bull market in the soybeans. But, uh, uh, how it ends, I, I'm not sure. It, it's going to be pretty interesting to see this thing unfold. So am I hearing you right? Are you saying that now with this new trend, we're going to be having to choose between using soybeans for food or for energy? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what they're doing uh, because we're going green, you know, and uh, you're going to have a glut of soybean meal, which is good for animal feed, but the, the soybean oil, it looks like, is uh, is all going to get burned up in vehicles. Hmm. Okay. So we'll have plenty of fuel to get from point A to point B, but we're going to go hungry. <laughs> exactly. But but the exhaust is going to smell like French fries, so it'll be a delicious, uh, <laughs> delicious way that'll, to be hungry. That'll make us hangry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be sniffing tailpipes. All right, so we'll just be a bunch of hangry people then. <laughs> Won't have enough to eat, but we'll be constantly tormented by the smell of French fries. We'll be reminded of what used to be, yes. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we thank you for being with us, Craig. Uh, everything that you tell us uh, live and in the Ag Report is so beneficial, and we appreciate you so much. So, folks, stick around. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back for one more segment. We're going to get to some more calls. We're going to talk a little bit more about that Inflation Reduction Act, our so-called Inflation Reduction Act. So stick with us. I'm Shana Burt. We'll be back right after this. I pray that in these trying times that I can lead him in a way that I know will leave a godly imprint on his heart forever. And to show her how to live a life that is pure. I want her to understand how precious life is and to take care of his body. To eat right and exercise and understand that his body is a temple of God. I pray that our family will love Jesus, read his word daily, and obey his teaching. The values that we share should guide us in the way that we invest. Make sure that you are investing in companies whose policies and practices align with pro-life, pro-family values. 
visit thetimothyplan.com or call for more information. Advance the kingdom in the way that you invest. I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. This is the story of a young lady who decided to keep her baby after hearing her baby's beautiful heartbeat on ultrasound. The Ministry of Preborn provides ultrasounds for pregnancy centers across America for free. When an abortion-minded woman hears her baby's heartbeat on ultrasound, she is 80% more likely to keep her baby. And the story doesn't end there. Your gift of $140 will cover the cost of five ultrasounds. All donations are tax deductible. You can help save a baby's life right here in America by donating to Preborn. To donate, dial pound 250, keyword baby, pound 250 baby or donate securely at preborn.com that's preborn.com do you know what you are supporting when you purchase mutual funds and stocks think about it when you invest in a company you make a decision to support the things that that company supports and it may not be things that you agree with We had no idea that we were supporting things like abortion, gambling, and pornography. Thanks to financial issues, we have changed all of that and have never felt better about our money. We are honoring God. The best decision we have ever made. Financial Issues is a ministry teaching people like you how to invest biblically, responsibly, keeping your investments clear of companies that may support an ungodly agenda. Grow your money God's way. Learn more by going to financialissues.org. Become a partner. Honor God and take control of your finances. Financialissues.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed on this program do not necessarily represent the opinions of the station or any of the program sponsors. Additionally, all products or services offered by the program sponsors may not be known by the program. Welcome back to Financial Issues. We hope that you enjoyed that interview with Craig Halgert. He is so helpful to us as we're navigating through a lot of our financial issues here. So, uh, you know, we may not be farmers and ranchers. We know that we do have a good uh, segment of, of the population that listens that find that very helpful, but you know, it, um, it's not an isolated thing. It's not just for ranchers and farmers. There's so many of those issues that flow into all of the other financial issues that we look at here at the ministry. And, you know, we use that information to help make portfolio decisions as well. So great stuff. Well, I hope that you are in the habit now of watching financial FISM news every night at six o'clock central time, seven o'clock Eastern time. You get it's a 30 minute way to catch up on all of the news of the day, the world news, the domestic news, everything that's happening. So let's take a little bit little clip at uh, one of the stories about the Inflation Reduction Act. President Biden signed that $740 billion Inflation Reduction Act, as he calls it, into law on Tuesday. It includes $300 billion in climate spending, an expansion of the IRS, a 15% corporate tax, and allows Medicare to negotiate some drug prices. Here's the president. I'm about to sign the Inflation Reduction Act into law, one of the most significant laws in our history. Let me say from the start, with this law, the American people won and the special interest lost. Well, Republicans say the law represents government overreach and that the spending package does nothing to actually reduce inflation, a claim that the Congressional Budget Office agrees with. Biden insisted that the spending package will not raise taxes on anyone making under $400,000 a year, but the Budget Office has also disputed that claim, estimating that Americans earning under $400,000 will pay, get this, $20 billion more in taxes through fiscal year 2031. Interesting. Uh, Sometimes you just have to see it for yourself and get it right from the horse's mouth. So you heard Joe Biden saying that this is the most significant law passed in our history. Wow. Well, it wouldn't have been passed at all if there wasn't inflation and there wouldn't be so much inflation 
if our country didn't, if our Congress didn't spend like drunken sailors. So the only thing in that significant law that might even come close to reducing inflation is the new taxes it's going to generate and the revenue and loss of productivity that's going to result in beefing up and weaponizing the IRS to go after small businesses. So you're going to have all of these small businesses now getting audited. That's going to decrease their productivity because they're going to have to spend so much time, money, and energy answering all of these, most of the time, very ridiculous questions that the IRS asks during these audits. You're also, you know, it's going to do a great job of taking money directly out of consumers' budgets and reducing their discretionary income. So that's what taxes do. It's a, you know, the basic definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. And that's exactly what we've got as the money supply went from $14 trillion pre-COVID to uh, almost $22 trillion dollars from all of the COVID stimulus. So we had this huge injection of money into the economy, and that's one of the drivers for inflation that we've seen. So taxing that money and permanently taking it out of consumers' pockets is a good way to reduce the money supply. It's probably not a very welcome way for consumers. So this will naturally result in a decrease in demand as consumers are going to have less discretionary income to spend because they've got to send more of it to Uncle Sam. But it will depend on what they do with that money as to whether or not it actually reduces inflation or not. If they just choose to recirculate the money because that's what this tax and spend mentality does. It takes money away from the consumers and it says, hey, we as the government, we know better how to spend money than you do. We know we, we do it in a better way. And that's just ridiculous. When you, when you really dig in and start to look at some of the ludicrous things that our government spends money on, it's absolutely ridiculous. So if they're just going to recirculate it by taking it out of circulation by taxing it and then passing more and more and more bills, just like the Inflation Reduction Act and Build Back Better and <clears throat> all of these other things, they're just going to recirculate those dollars. However, now this is going to be painful, but it's something that needs to happen, whether it's a Democrat or, or Republican in office. Democrats won't do this, but if they would just be committed to actually reducing the deficit, you know, Joe Biden is uh, very proud of his deficit reduction, which really isn't a deficit reduction. When you when you take out that one-off event of COVID, he's not really reducing the deficit at all. He's just seeing a decrease in injecting that COVID stimulus into the economy. <clears throat> but if he puts some of those dollars towards paying down our debt, which they won't, that might actually have a shot at reducing inflation as we uh, pull back on the money supply. But they're not going to. They're going to go back to the Fed. Remember, the way that we get money into the economy is that it has to be monetized. So we have to create debt. Somebody has to buy it. Uh, as of lately, that's been the Fed a lot. So the Fed is saying they're going to tighten. They're going to take money. They're going to get debt off of their balance sheet, which means that they're that they're not going to you can't buy it from the government that's going to increase it they're trying to get it off but now to get all of this money for build back better money that we don't have it's going to have to be printed we're going to have to go somewhere to get somebody to buy it and it's probably going to be to the fed so you know this inflation reduction act isn't going to do anything towards reducing inflation and then I encourage you to go watch the rest of that story on financial issues because it talks about Manchin's, uh, Joe Manchin's response to all of this is, you know, he's actually been uh, liked by conservatives as of lately as he's, you know, shied away from these huge spending bills. But he bought into this one somehow, some way, for some reason, and now he's having to go on the, the defense to support uh, the criticism that's being 
you know, lodged at him for supporting this. So stay tuned. We're going to follow this story. We're going to talk more about it on the news and on this program as well. well. Let's get to one more call we have time for. Let's let's go to Rocky as calling from Texas. Hi, Rocky. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning. Um, I guess um, I want to say something first. Um, I, I, I feel like we're blessed to have you. I feel that you lift God up every day. And uh, I love the way you guys sound, that you continue to carry on Dad, Dan's mission. Uh, thank you for that encouragement. Uh, so my question is, I had called before, and my wife has a 401k from a previous employer, and when we, we talked about rolling it into a IRA. And uh, so my question to that, is that correct, is that we can roll it to an IRA? Yes. Okay. So my question is that um, can we still fund it with um, money um, from when she gets paid? Yes, you should be able to as long as you have earned income. So you can contribute. There is a limit to how much that you can put in it. And you can contribute as long as you do have that earned income to show. Now, there's two kinds of IRAs that you could do. You could do a rollover IRA or just a regular IRA. You can contribute to either one. The only reason that you would do a rollover IRA is if you think that you're going to have an employer in the future and you may want to roll that money back into the employer-sponsored plan. Um, that would be one reason that you would do that. But you can you can contribute either way as long as you have that earned income. Yeah, what I didn't say was that the new company she's working with, they have Guidestone. And mm. so we had talked about not going with Guidestone, not funding our, our retirement through Guidestone. Yep, and that's a great point that you make. I was almost going to say that before you brought it up, but I'm glad you did. So, you know, one of the reasons that I'm a fan of rolling money out of employer-sponsored plans whenever you can is because I'm such a fan of biblically responsible investing. And when you have an employer-sponsored plan, the company gets to choose the menu of funds that you can invest in. And most of the time, they don't include biblically responsible options. So that's a... That's a great thing. I, I applaud you on that. So well, folks, are we able to. So what? So, so when we fund, once we move it and we're funding it um, on a on a regular interval into the um, IRA, does it have to come through her paycheck, or can we just fund it through our banking system? It probably can't come from her paycheck. Um, that would be up to the employer to to make that happen. So it probably has to come from the bank account. Well, folks, today we just flew by. We're at the end of the program here. We thank you for sticking with us. We hope that the things that we have shared with you are edifying and encouraging and help you to be a good steward. We have to remember that Jesus is coming back. We are living in the end times. The master's going to return and he's going to ask for an account of how we handled the time, the talent, and the treasure that we were trusted with. It's my hope and prayer that we will seek the Lord first, give Him His proper place, and we will be found a good and faithful steward when He returns. I'm Shanna Burt with Financial Issues. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Thank you for joining us. This has been an FISM production. If you like what you're hearing right now, you're going to love going to the website FISM.TV. FISM.TV is the home of nationally syndicated TV, radio, and podcasts, Financial Issues with Shanna Burt. But it's also home to the engaging history program, A Moment in History, and the news show FISM News, along with a whole slew of exciting and original programs that are all biblically based. Go visit our website. It's FISM.TV to learn more about this show and plenty more. Again, FISM.TV.